You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we're going to spotlight America's team with Mickey Spagnola from DallasCowboys.com. Chat with John Harris from the Texans broadcast crew, provide a fantasy fix with Michael Harmon, and take you round the league with Peter King from the MMQB. And Brian, we're going to kick off the podcast today with Minnesota Vikings tight end, Kyle Rudolph. Kyle, thanks so much for taking the time. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Doing pretty good, Kyle. This is Cordell, man. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you on. I've been talking about you so much and you guys' team within that division you guys have been able to have success across the board, whether it's with Dalvin Cook and now he's out. You have McKinnon and Murray. Uh, you have Teddy Bridgewater who goes down and all of a sudden Sam Bradford comes, have success. He goes down. Now he, here it comes, Case Keenum. What's the magic that you guys have around there right now that's allowing you to play as well as you are, which for me, I picked you guys to win the division, and I think rightfully so now. Even with Aaron Rodgers and now without him, you guys truly do have an opportunity to do that. Well, I think it speaks volume to uh, the depth that Rick Spielman and the rest of our front office have assembled here. You know, obviously, going through an NFL season, you're going to have adversity and you're going to have injuries. Uh, we've probably had a little more than you may like, but uh, I think it speaks volume to the depth that we have around here. And um, you know, we we understand it's part of the game, and we have a bunch of guys that are willing and ready to step up when guys go down. And uh, like you said, we just try to keep things moving. And Kyle, you could be getting deeper. You put up some big numbers a couple of years ago with Teddy Bridgewater. What does it mean for the club that Teddy's come all the way back from the knee injury and getting ready to practice again? I think it says a lot about how he is as a as a person. Obviously, we know how Teddy is as a player. Uh, he had such a devastating knee injury over 14 months ago, and uh, you know, since the first day he had the injury, he's had his mindset on getting back to playing football. Um, you know, obviously, it was a long, tough road, but. Uh, he's worked extremely hard, so I'm excited for him. Uh, I'm excited for his opportunity to get back out on the field with us and practice a little bit. Uh, so looking forward to seeing him, and obviously he brings a ton of energy and enthusiasm and uh, extremely contagious smile out there on the practice field every day. When you have a chance to watch your defense, which I don't think no one gives enough credit to, you talk about players like the Eric Kendricks, the Harrison Smiths, uh, who had a great interception last week against Chicago, and you saw him make a, a couple of great plays and catching turnovers in this last game you guys played in. Give me your take on, as an offensive player, watching that defense get you guys the ball back fast and make the great plays that, that they make. How anxious do you become to get back on the field to try to do the same thing in return? Well, it's always fun man, on the sidelines watching those guys out there playing. Uh, we practice against them every day and all summer long through training camp uh, preseason. So it's good to see them out there getting to get, getting after somebody else instead of us. And you won't have to game plan them every week. But, you know, it's awesome when you know that, you know, throughout the course of a game, you know, they're going to provide you opportunities with short fields. And, you know, for us as a team, uh, you know, we like to take pride in winning games as a team. And whether that's special teams setting up offense, changing the field position, you know, for us on offense, taking care of the ball, that's something that we've, uh, kind of gotten away from a little bit. You know, it cost us the Detroit game. We had a couple turnovers last week that made the game closer than it needed to be. Uh, but then the defense, you know, they're constantly forcing turnovers. So, you know, we feel like it's big for us to take care of the ball on offense, and then we got to score points when those guys get us the ball with such short fields. 
Vikings tight end Kyle Rudolph is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Kyle, it's an important month in the NFL, teaming up with the American Cancer Society for the Crucial Catch Challenge. Why was it significant for you to get involved? Fans can make a pledge for every reception you have this month at pledgeit.org slash Kyle-Rudolph. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, cancer is something that, you know, no matter who you are, no matter what you do, um, you know, it'll affect your life in, in some way, shape, or form. We all know people that have been affected by cancer. And, you know, today we actually just left the, the Crucial Catch Intercept Cancer Luncheon and, you know, got to hang out and, and speak to a lot of cancer survivors. And, and those are the true fighters in the world. You know, those are the, the strong individuals that go out each and every day and, you know, battle the adversity that they're faced. So um, it's something that's near and dear to my heart. And I had a little brother who had cancer and is now 25 years cancer-free. Uh, and like I said, no matter who you are, what you do, cancer has affected your life in some way, shape, or form. So uh, it's a great initiative, the NFL, the American Cancer Society, uh, that they do in, in raising awareness for screening. I mean, that's great because uh, I had a mother and a father who tried to fight, and they weren't so successful when it comes down to cancer. But that's a great thing that you're doing right now, uh, Kyle, when it comes down to giving back to the community. But you guys, I think, as a team, has given back also to that community when it comes down to your play. Uh, we're very close last year. Started off the season with five wins, and North Turner leaves. Coach Zimmer, he has his issue with getting surgery with his eye. Uh, how is he doing so far? And, and and give me the health of the football team from the standpoint of who you're concerned about far as not maybe not playing next week or someone that's on the horizon of actually being back on the football field with you guys. You know, for us, I think last year and all the circumstances and adversity that we faced um, has helped us through the first six weeks this year. Um, you know, losing a starting running back again, a starting quarterback getting hurt. Uh, we've had some injuries on defense, a couple offensive linemen get banged up. And, you know, those are all things that we dealt with last year. And uh, earlier in our conversation, you asked, you know, kind of what's the magic behind it where we just insert guys. And I think it's because we've, A, got great depth, but B, we've been through it before. Um, you know, last year, unfortunately, um, we weren't able to capitalize on a 5-0 and start and miss the playoffs. And this year, you know, we're not going to let injuries get in the way. Um, you know, we have our goal of going out and winning the NFC North, hosting a home playoff game, and then hopefully being the first team to play in the Super Bowl in our own stadium. So, um, you know, that's, that's our expectations for this year. And, you know, like I said, it, it's a true testament to the depth on our roster. Let's get to the hard-hitting question. Great, the touchdown celebrations are back in the NFL. How did you and your teammates come up with that outstanding duck-duck-goose routine we saw last week in Chicago? Uh, it was uh, an idea that kind of got mentioned earlier in the week. You know, we knew playing on Monday Night Football. Uh, we do something fun. You know, the whole country's watching. And I don't think we had any idea of the controversy that we would spark here in the state of Minnesota. Apparently in the state of Minnesota, the game is called Duck-Duck-Gray Duck. And... They're the only state in the country that plays it that way, uh, but they're very passionate uh, and very adamant that that's the way the game is supposed <laughs> to be played. So we, we sparked quite the controversy when we called it Duck, Duck, Goose. All right. Have you been swayed now? Obviously, you got to play to the local crowd, but right is right. Kyle, what was <laughs> yeah, the name well, of what we saw I, last I week? I explained to all the local media here in Minnesota that, you know, I guess I have two one-year-old daughters and um, they'll be raised on duck, duck, gray duck. But I, I told them I'm going to have to explain to them when they leave uh, and go away to college that, you know, you're going to get made fun of for playing this game called <laughs> duck, duck, gray duck. Like everyone else in the country plays duck, duck, goose. So, um, you know, that's the way they'll be raised around here, but we'll make sure we get them right. 
Well, you're doing a great job. You're being the number one dad to those to, to the little girls, and, and there's nothing <laughs> like being able to raise your kids playing that game. So we all were raised on duck, duck, goose, but you know how it goes. But you guys are now the ones that are it in that division, speaking of duck, duck, goose. You're it. You're the one that's being chased now. Can you guys handle being out front in that division when it comes down to now knowing that everything is going to fall on you guys' shoulder to get it done because of what you have in Green Bay uh, from a quarterbacking standpoint, Chicago with Mitchell Trubisky, and also Detroit just let a couple slip by? Well, you know, I think it's, it's as you know, been playing this game. You have to take it each, each and every week. And, yeah, we've set ourselves up in, in a great situation being 4-2 and two and being out in front of the division. But, you know, last year we were in first place in the division through five weeks, and we were watching the playoffs at home. So uh, whether, you know, you're – chasing or being chased you know we have to approach it each and every week and you know for us it's it's about piling up wins getting as many wins as possible and you know hopefully we're playing at home in the playoffs and uh we you know we can't control what that end end result is we can only go week by week and get one week one win at a time kyle we appreciate the time thanks so much for joining us on the nfl on tune in good luck against the baltimore ravens on sunday thank you so much guys i appreciate it You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Experience the excitement of the NFL as it happens with NFL First and Goal, exclusively on TuneIn Premium. Touchdown! From week one to week 17, jump in and out of the action every Sunday with Nick Ferguson and me taking you from game to game. We'll have home calls as teams are threatening to score. Fake it to block. Brady tosses. Touchdown! Hear every big play. Hear every game-winning drop. It's a touchdown. Catch NFL First and Goal every Sunday starting at 1 Eastern, only on TuneIn Premium. Upgrade today. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. We continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now we're joined by NFL on TuneIn contributor Peter King from the MMQB. Now, it's time for 2010 National Sports Writer of the Year, Peter King, from MMQB on the NFL on TuneIn. Peter, as always, we appreciate the time. What's your sense of the early takeaways from the owners' quarterly meetings, which are ongoing today in New York City, the NFLPA involved as well today? I'm sitting here in lower Manhattan right now at said meetings, and... uh, you know, the two takeaways so far, because I don't think anything of great substance is likely to happen. I'm not saying it's impossible, but uh, I think that uh, there was a positive meeting between 13 players and 10 owners this morning uh, up in Midtown Manhattan at the NFL offices. Um, some good dialogue, fertile dialogue. I was told that uh, that the two sides – We've had a lot of differences, uh, the players and owners. Uh, the union boss and the commissioner don't get along well, but I think uh, this was a profitable meeting today. Um, the, 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 the point about these meetings that we're dealing with right now, um, I'm not sure that it's logical to think that in the span of a day and a half of meetings that the owners can come up with any sort of policy that would lay the groundwork with players um, <clears throat> to make a solid national anthem ruling. Um, Eric Reed of the 49ers said this morning that he's probably going to continue kneeling for the anthem. Uh, so uh, when you when you hear that, you say, well, it's unlikely then that, that there's going to be 
the kind of ruling coming out of these meetings that could stem this problem. So I still think that we're dealing with a situation that uh, that is uh, that I, I'm, I, I don't know how long it is away from being solved, but it's still uh, it's still some time before this is going to be solved. Peter, obviously, we, we've seen politics creep into the game of football uh, and then sports in general. And we know politics and sports is like oil and water. It truly just does not mix. Um, what do you think is a perfect world when it comes down to the National Football League and its players? Because at one time, it was just Colin Kaepernick. All of a sudden, the words said by our president attacking the players for kneeling now crept into the league to now everyone end up taking a knee even the even the owners, and now all of a sudden it's trying to find that happy medium to now, let's just say, cut that out to an extent and try to find another way to approach the things that they're having their differences with and things that they're unhappy with in society. So what, what do you think is the, the most perfect place, if you can think of something quickly, uh, on, on what can make this thing suffice? My, my feeling, Cordell, is that the NFL needs to prove like Roger Goodell co-wrote a letter today or wrote a letter in support with Doug Baldwin about sentencing guidelines uh, for uh, legislation in Congress right now. And this is one of the issues that a lot of players in the league feel very strongly about. There are issues, <clears throat> there are issues like <clears throat> improved relations with police officers, with, um, you know, with, with uh, less harsh sentences um, for nonviolent criminals, particularly in inner cities. And I think those are the kind of things that players are, are passionate about. And, and this is really different from a lot of, I mean, Colin Kaepernick's issues were focused immensely and very directly on, um, on police, uh, on bad police officers. And I think people like Doug Baldwin, Malcolm Jenkins, Chris Long, they're people who have other intentions. Okay. Like Doug Baldwin told me that, you know, he wants to see the dare program reinstituted and improved in school systems around the country. I mean, and that is building a bridge between the police and citizens. It's not being negative toward the police. And I think, so I, I really think that what the, what the players want to see is some consistent, um, you know, consistent action on, on behalf of the league and action that would show that this is not necessarily a divided, divisive uh, relationship between players and owners that there has been for so long in the past. Peter, let's wrap it up with a quick thought connected to matters on the field. I enjoyed your latest column, and just like you, we hand out our weekly power rankings. Can I borrow your bold pick of the Texans in the top five? How did you get to that conclusion? Oh, I, I mean, yeah, honestly, you know, I was watching a lot of the games, and I for a while I was watching Red Zone, and Scott Hansen at one point, the beautiful throw from, um, uh, from Watson to Fuller for a touchdown, you know, I, after that throw, Scott, uh, Scott Hansen said what I was thinking. You know, right now, I don't think there's an offense in the NFL playing any better than Deshaun Watson and the Texans. How stunning a remark is that? Would anybody have said that before this year on the, on the heels of the embarrassing uh, play by Brock Osweiler, on the heels of naming 
you know, uh, it, it, naming a starter before this year that the vast majority, Tom Savage, a vast majority of people hadn't even heard of and it had no skins on the wall. But, but the, you know, the Texans right now, to me anyway, are one of these teams that when I look at them, I say, tell me, how are you going to stop them? And what a beautiful ball that Deshaun Watson throws downfield. So to me, I'm, uh, I'm bullish right now on the Texans, and I think they're going to be very, very hard to stop as long as they stay healthy on offense. Peter, as always, we value the insights. Enjoy your time in New York City, and we'll chat with you on Sunday on NFL First and Goal. Thank you very much, guys. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. The passion. 25, 15-10, 5-3-2-1. The fury. Inhaled in the backfield. Sacked for the Huskies. The speed. Here's a home run ball. He's out there. He catches it. The best in college football from coast to coast. Touchdown, Notre Dame. 13-0 Buckeyes. To the goal line. Touchdown, Texas. Ball's on the carpet. Georgia says we have it. He's in. Touchdown, this is the Nissan College Football Blitz. Listen on Saturdays this fall on College Sports Now on TuneIn. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Next up on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, we focus on Houston with Texan sideline analyst John Harris. John, thanks for taking the time. So much chatter about Deshaun Watson, deservedly so. In your view, what are the skills, both physical and mental, that have enabled him to play this well, this soon in the NFL? Well, that's that's a great question, but I think one of the things that people didn't understand about him for whatever reason is how much, A, he loves football, and B, his high football IQ. I mean, he came here to Houston with a very high football intelligence level, and that has really helped him decipher defenses. We just talked to Sean Ryan today, quarterback's coach, and I asked him that same question. I said, Coach, what's been impressive about Deshaun? He said, He sees and understands everything very quickly, and he processes processes it quickly as well. And I think that's really what separates him from a lot of quarterbacks. And I've I've really come around on that aspect being maybe the most important for a quarterback. How quickly do you process once the ball is snapped what you're supposed to do? But he's also been able to make throws at all levels. I mean, you guys just played the clip right there, throwing the ball deep to Will Fuller. He should have had a second one to Fuller. Uh, and Fuller was unable to hang on to it, but that was a beautiful ball. But his deep ball accuracy, which was supposed to be uh, one of a, a red flag for him heading into the year coming out of Clemson, it's been an asset for this team, and it's really opened things up down the field. So there's so much to say about Deshaun, and all he'll tell you is, I just got to get better every single week. You know, he doesn't think he's bigger than the team. He never will. I mean, the guy came in with a Warren Moon jersey on, walking into the stadium on Sunday, just won everybody over in Houston – that's of my age demographic that remembers how great Warren Moon was for the city of Houston. He's just doing everything right right now. He's the right demeanor. He's the right type of calm and uh, soothe, soothingness, I guess, if you will, uh, for this offense to really keep them going in a positive direction no matter what's been thrown at them. I remember at one time when speaking about uh, the quarterback position, talking about Tom Savage and, and uh, Deshaun Watson, asking Coach Bill O'Brien the question like, what would be the difference? And he said only about four plays. Do you beg to differ on that, that there's only a four-play difference between Tom Savage when it comes to play calling and Deshaun Watson based on what you see so far with him? No, because I, I think what's happened, Cordell, is that with, with uh, 
with the game plan with Deshaun, I think what happened was when they got ready for New England, they went out and found a couple of things they knew were going to work with Deshaun and that were going to give New England trouble. And what that did was once they had success with it, all of a sudden they went back to the they went back to the lab, if you will, and said, "All right, well, what more can we do?" So now the the package of plays is so much different than than what Tom could run. And, and look, Tom got pulled out of that Jacksonville game, and, and because they really couldn't they couldn't protect him, and so he he made some good throws early on. But I think the biggest difference in both in Tom and Deshaun is just what I said is the processing speed. Deshaun can process things so quickly and get the ball where it needs to go. And that was still something that Tom was not really able to do right now. And I don't know, maybe if in more reps it would happen, but it just wasn't happening for Tom. And I think with the offensive line the way it was, Bill O'Brien realized, I've got to make this change or otherwise we're going nowhere. But I think it's been even more impactful, the change, than anything even the offensive staff anticipated. I think Watson is better than anybody thought he was going to be, with the exception of one person, Deshaun Watson. He knew he could be this good. I think everybody else is still a little bit shocked at it. We're spotlighting the Texans with our friend John Harris from the Texans Radio Network and the Texans Team Channel here on TuneIn. John, let's go back to Sunday. I know Cleveland was the opponent, but they're on scholarship too, as we like to say. How did the Texans' defense look in the first game without both J.J. Watt and Whitney Merciless? Well, they were they were productive from a sack and a turnover standpoint. And I think that's the biggest thing in what this defense is going to have to do. They're going to have to generate some big plays, some impactful plays from guys you've never heard of. They had four sacks the other day, and they're from Ufoma Kamalu, Curtis Drummond, and I know you guys know this name, Lamar Houston, but those are pretty much unknown guys. Those guys are going to have to step up, but Jonathan Joseph came up big. He's been banged up throughout the week. And so it was, it was the turnovers and the sacks and, and part of that was because it was Kevin Hogan. Part of that is because the Browns' receiving core is just really not that good. But part of it was they just played better team defense, uh, and they knew they had to without Watt and Merciless. Look, can they do that to Seattle with Russell Wilson? Uh, hard to say. But they just have to do the things that they're capable of doing. And, look, keeping a quarterback in contained, I mean, that's one of the first things you learn as a defensive player. Anybody can do that. And that's what killed them against the Chiefs without Watt and without Merciless. Those are some of the things that they've got to take care of. If they play solid team defense, they're still going to be limited in some areas because of the losses, but they're going to be okay because the scheme's pretty good. They still got with Clowney and McKinney and DJ Reader, they still got a pretty stout front seven. The secondary will get Kevin Johnson back. That's going to help. So this defense won't be number one in the league, but with the offense, moving the ball the way that it does, it doesn't have to. It just has to give Deshaun and that offense a couple of opportunities. And the other day with three interceptions, it definitely did that. I mean, when you watch how Seattle plays on offense, they don't really do anything really well. There's no rhyme or reason to what they do. Uh, so I don't, I don't think the, the defense of Houston would really have that much trouble. They just need to be more disciplined. But when you see this, this team within the division, seeing that you have the Jacksonville Jaguars playing the type of football that they're playing, which is really, really good football, the Tennessee Titans, we just end up seeing them getting a, a win against the Indianapolis Colts uh, just last night. When you look at this team in Houston, do you see them with what they're doing, how they're growing with Deshaun Watson being the team to actually beat within this division? I don't know if I would say, Cordell, it's, it's the team to beat. I think these three teams are all very close. 
I know Jacksonville gets beat by Tennessee, and then we hammered Tennessee, but then Jacksonville hammered us. Now, you can make excuses or give reasons why that all happened. Watson only played a half against Jacksonville, and it was a bad matchup for us, whatever. Jacksonville is the one that worries me, and I heard you, Cordell, talk about this just a little bit, a little while ago. Jacksonville, I think, overall has the most young talent and is maybe the most talented team in the division. But from week to week, not really sure what you're going to get from Jacksonville because there might be one week where teams can shut down or slow down Leonard Fournette and then the game falls on the shoulders of Blake Bortles. Well, that's the advantage for the opponent. So that's the one thing with Jacksonville. But that defense is for real. The Jacksonville defense, to me, is the best one I've seen this year, and it's not even close. They were as nasty and physical. And I've been down to the sidelines NFL games. Now, for, this is my fourth year down to the sidelines. I don't think I've seen a defense, even ours, that ran around and hit people and were as physical as the Jacksonville defense. Now, sometimes they run off and hide, and you go, hey, where are you guys? What are you doing? And so that inconsistency is something that Jacksonville's going to have to battle. But if you're facing Jacksonville at volume 10, teams are going to have a really tough time beating them because of all the young talent that has been accumulated there. You just have to hope that if you're the opponent, that Blake Bortles can throw you one or throw you a couple of them. I don't think Tennessee has that defense. Now, we don't, without Merciless and Watt, have that group, but we still got a lot of guys that have played a ton of football on that side and some youthful guys like Zach Cunningham and Dylan Cole, who hopefully will be back in two or three weeks off the hamstring, that have given this defense maybe a different look, which will help it. And this defense always plays better in the second half of the year. We're not as athletically talented as Jacksonville, but overall, we play a better team defensive concept, and we have Deshaun Watson pulling the trigger. So I don't know if I would make us the, the straw that stirs the drink in the AFC South, but I know when we're at, we're at our, our best and going against Jacksonville's best, I think we can beat them because, like Bortles, if the game's put on his shoulders, we can beat him. And that's, I think, the most important thing when facing Jacksonville. Make him beat you. And if he can, more power to him. But he hasn't proven that he can do that. When Jacksonville loses, look at his stat numbers and his production. It's way down. And that, I think, is going to be the key facing Jacksonville this year. And to amplify that point, as you know, Bortles with another interception Sunday in the loss to the Rams. John, let's wrap it up with a potential transaction getting closer to the trade deadline. Do you think that could be the catalyst leading to the trade of Dwayne Brown, whose holdout continues? Well, I've heard two things this week, and I don't know, of course, which one to believe, Brian, that that Dwayne will report on Monday after the Texans return from a bye. And then I've heard, well, there's a deal imminent. There's a part of me that feels like Dwayne Brown will be playing on Sunday, whether it's for the Texans or the Seahawks. It just feels like those are the two teams that it, it makes the most sense for, for Dwayne to play. Now, I haven't heard any trade chatter uh, in the building at all. So I don't know if that means that he's coming back. And if he comes back to the Texans, and he's right physically and, and, and gets himself in football shape pretty quickly, you know, he makes the Texans better, there's no question, but he's going to make anybody better no matter where he goes. I just don't know with this amount of time that he's been away, the hard feelings that are there, I don't know. So I've heard a couple of things. I don't know which one to believe. So we'll all kind of sit on pins and needles next week and see whether Dwayne enters the building or not. And that'll certainly be a topic we cover when we chat with you a week from now. John, as always, we appreciate the information. Thanks for giving us a few minutes again today on the NFL on TuneIn. 
Absolutely, guys. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Country Roads, your all-access pass to everything Nashville. There's a lot better music selection. Marin Morris. Kenny Chesney. Florida Georgia Line. Sam Hunt. Hey, we're all Dominion. We're all we written in the sand. Plus news and interviews with your favorite country stars. Thomas Rhett. You're not given more than you can handle, and so every day just kind of has its own challenges. I'm Kelly Sutton bringing you the hottest new country songs on Country Roads. I'm Luke Bryan cruising the country roads with you on TuneIn. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's talk Cowboys with Mickey Spagnola from DallasCowboys.com. Mickey, thanks for taking the time. We know the NFL is all about next man up. Let's skip the legal analysis regarding Ezekiel Elliott. If ultimately he has to sit because of the suspension, how much confidence would you have in a combination of Alfred Morris, Darren McFadden, and Rod Smith? Well, at least uh, McFadden and Morris have been in this league for a while. Uh, Both guys have had 1,000-yard rushing seasons. Uh, So I think it's a, you know, an okay alternative. Uh, Now, I'm not saying that it doesn't matter if Zeke's in there or not. I think what they miss most without Zeke in there, well, actually two things. One, the tough yards. And if you've seen uh, the problems the Cowboys have had running uh, the ball in some of these games, there's been a lot of dirty runs that Zeke has been able to power his way through. And instead of losing a yard or two, he's gaining two or three yards. And I don't know that either Morris or McFadden are that type of running back. I think the other thing uh, that you lose without Zeke in there uh, is, is just the potential that any time he touches the ball, uh, you know, the, the end zone is not out of the question. Uh, so I think you lose that too. Uh, but I, I think they might have enough to be able to create enough of a running game to take some of the pressure off Dak that he doesn't have to do it uh, all himself. But uh, I just think Ezekiel is a special running back, and even though uh, their running game has gotten off to a slow start, Uh, I don't think you can minimize his importance to this offense. Speaking of the offense, uh, when are they going to open it up just a little bit? I mean, the Dinkin and Duncan, uh, Terrence Williams, he ends up catching a little quick out route. It bounces off his chest into the hand of the defender for a touchdown on interception to Jason Witten running routes at eight yards uh, and not getting too far. When when are they going to create these post-routes concepts, dig routes at 16 yards, those deep comebacks to be able to open it up? And I know the defense is struggling, so having that methodical approach is is somewhat helpful to an extent, but they need to open it up just a little bit to allow it, and not just throwing go routes to Dez Bryant. When do you see them opening up just a little bit? Well, a couple of things there. Uh, Number one, those routes that you – mentioned uh, uh, underneath to Witten and, and Terrence Williams, it's almost like an extension of their running game. Uh, if you watch uh, the games closely, uh, the line of scrimmage is getting crowded uh, and crowded a lot. And, and you're right, they were trying to control the clock and, and methodically move down the field against the uh, Packers. Uh, the other factor in there is that the, the pass protection hasn't been all that great uh, for Dak to be able to get the ball downfield on a consistent basis. And I know what you're talking about, not having to throw uh, nine routes all the time, but uh, throw a deep in or a deep out. Uh, The the timing hasn't been there afforded to him uh, on a consistent basis, and I don't know if they became hesitant uh, to run 
some of those routes. Uh, you know, the other thing is, is they've played some pretty good corners, and I know you can't back off. Uh, You've you got to test these guys because uh, these corners are going to get beat. There's a reason why, you know, wide receivers in this league catch 90 to 100 passes. Uh, but I think you have to have the time, and I think they've just been trying very hard to establish a physical identity, uh, trying to run the ball, or at least move the ball on a consistent basis. Uh, they get themselves in trouble when they go three and out. And if they're not consistent in the passing game uh, and they're going three and out, it puts a serious burden on this defense. You know, and a lot of people say, well, see, that's the offense's problem. Uh, the defense is on the field too long. Well, uh, contrary to that belief is if you can't get off defensively, that has nothing to do with the offense. And teams have had too many long drives uh, on the Cowboys where they'll go a quarter touching the ball once. And if they don't score, they never touch it again. And that's what happened in the Packers game uh, in that third quarter. So I think there's more to it than just saying, okay, we're going to open up the offense and sling the ball around. We call it Tuesdays with Mickey, our weekly conversation with our friend Mickey Spagnola, DallasCowboys.com, Cowboys team channel here on TuneIn. Mickey, I'm sure you're already looking ahead to the matchup coming up off the bye Sunday on the road in San Francisco. Go back to last year. That was a tough game for the Cowboys on the road in Santa Clara. How challenging do you think this game could be? Because you know, casual fans may not realize it, 49ers again on the road in our nation's capital, came close to picking up their first win. They're a handful of plays away from being 5-1. and one. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. And, and that last game against Washington uh, should be a cautionary tale if anybody thinks going up against an 0-6 team uh, is a cakewalk. Because to me, they were one very poorly penalized offensive interference call uh, in the last 30 seconds of that game from being – in position uh, to kick the winning field goal uh, with seconds to go. So you're exactly right. And I didn't realize it uh, till uh, yesterday that they're 0-6, but they become the first team in NFL history to lose five consecutive games by no more than three points. So they've been close. And, and as we know in the history of the NFL, you know, going 0-16 generally doesn't happen. I don't care how bad you are. You usually have at least one game fall in your lap. Uh, you just don't want to be that team to provide that one game. And, and as close as they've been uh, at 0-6, it's like they're overdue to win one. Uh, we saw that happen with the Giants uh, on Sunday. Who would have ever thought they would beat Denver? Uh, but they did. Uh, so I think the Cowboys have to be quite aware that this team's going to win one. You just better make sure you don't take them lightly because uh, you'll be that one uh, you'll be the first one they beat. How much pressure do you think now is on uh, Dak Prescott? Leading, I think going up to five games last year, there was rushing on an average, what, 109 yards a game. Now it's at 78, which obviously it's been on him. Uh, how bigger is the pressure and how much more has it mounted so far now that Ezekiel Elliott may not be in the, will not be in the mix for the next six games? Yeah, you know, I, I know they, the, the last few games uh, he's played awfully well. Uh, as a matter of fact, he's the reason why uh, they didn't get blown out by Green Bay uh, and the L.A. Rams. Uh, so he's been playing, I think, these last three games awfully, awfully well. Uh, and he's going to have to, you're right, he's going to have to continue to play uh, at that level uh, for them to withstand uh, if and when uh, they know for sure that Zeke uh, is ineligible to play 
for either this weekend or the next uh, six games. It doesn't seem to phase him. Uh, he seems willing to do whatever he needs to do uh, to move the ball. Uh, but I got another cautionary tale for everybody that gets uh, infatuated with him running the football outside the pocket. You saw what happened to Aaron Rodgers outside the pocket. Too many quarterbacks, too many times the quarterbacks outside the pocket, sometimes good things don't happen. Uh, so you have to be very, very careful thinking, oh, we're going to be very bullish and run our quarterback uh, because the last thing you want to happen uh, is your starting quarterback go down for a lengthy period of time. Mickey, thanks so much for the visit. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll chat with you next Tuesday here on the NFL on TuneIn. Okay, sorry for being a little tardy, but I was kind of following that uh, Zeke court case, hoping the judge would hurry up and make a <laughs> make a decision to convenience of mine, you know? <laughs> we know the wheels of justice turn slowly. Thank you, Mickey. Yeah, they sure do. See you guys next week. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Let's say all you want to do is listen to a little sports talk on TuneIn, but all you hear is a lot of noise with Bose QC35 wireless headphones, too. You just flip a switch and suddenly the sports talk comes through loud and clear. Bose QC35s are engineered with world-class noise cancellation, hassle-free wireless technology, and up to 20 hours of battery life. Lose the noise, lose the wires, lose yourself in sports talk. Visit Bose.com slash no huddle to experience Bose QC35 headphones 2 today. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, it's time for the Fantasy Fix with Michael Harmon from SwollenDome.com. Fantasy football has become a major reality for millions of fans. Makes him off to the 30. He's gone. He's gone. What a move. It takes skill to win your fantasy championship, separating the zeros. He goes to the near side, and it's picked up. From the fantasy heroes. Down the middle, it's caught over the shoulder in the end zone. Buckle up your chin strap for the Fantasy Fix. Today we're joined by a great friend of the program, Michael Harmon, SwollenDome.com. Mike, as always, we appreciate the time. You're based in Southern California. You saw Brett Hundley play a lot at UCLA. What's his fantasy value taking over the starting job in Green Bay? Short term, it's just the wait and see. If you have a deeper bench, then perhaps you, you stash them and, and play the waiting game to see exactly how this develops. Certainly not encouraged by the results of the quick little display uh, coming in for Aaron Rodgers, but obviously you're not anticipating greatness. But you look at the skill position players still there, even though you don't have your offensive tackles, and that's one of the, the bigger fears and was if you were just an Aaron Rodgers holder is lo- over the long haul, how much of that was going to come back to bite you. Uh, so I think with Hundley, we're going to play the wait and see game with him again stash if you've got a deep bench otherwise we'll go off to the waiver wire we'll find where tyrod taylor still available in 60 percent of leagues andy dalton as much as you may wring your hands at times and playing pittsburgh no picnic uh, but still available in 55 percent of leagues and go on down the line we can find some values and some sneaky plays along the way mix and match uh, to try to get us to fantasy glory Orleans Darkwa had a good game on Sunday night, and with not much help in the receiving game, uh, is he a guy to target moving forward? Uh, well, if nothing else, we, we always love when we can add an all-name team kind of player who gets back to fantasy relevance, right? I mean, that's what Brian and I did for fantasy purposes. What are we doing that? Well, we're going to talk about a guy just because we like his name. And in this case, if you're going to get 21 touches, 
that's the old rule. If we can get a guy with a double-digit touch count, we at least have to give him a second glance. So someone had to emerge from the mess, and that might be a one-game outlier, but we're always chasing carries. So given the number of injuries that are starting to affect fantasy lineups as well as the bye weeks, Orleans Darkwaugh gets back into the mix. Uh, very short-lived run for Wayne Gallman. So, Mike, obviously I have to just grab that low-hanging fruit. If sure, we're talking New York names, you're riding with Orleans Darkwa, or my favorite, and I really have to say it closely to the microphone, Bilal Powell. I liked Bilal Powell when, you know, he was the new exciting shiny toy, uh, and then... Now it's all the Josh McCown aerial acrobatics and Austin Safarian Jenkins, the catch, not a catch. It's kind of like, is it the, which color is the dress is off of that would-be catch the other day. Uh, but Orleans Darkwa sounds like something James Earl Jones would say to you. Mm. So why don't we go with him? In a deep voice, Luke, you are my son. All right, Cordell and I have had a difference of opinion when it comes to Adrian Peterson, and for one week, I might have been wrong. Peterson was very good against Tampa Bay. Is this sustainable in your view? Well, going up against the Rams, who've been uh, invisible against opposing running backs at this point. So uh, we'll ride the hot hand. Again, you know, looking at the touch count, and we talked about it a little bit after the release, is if he's going to get Chris Johnson's load, which was about 11.5 carries a game, then that's at least something that makes him a flex-worthy player just based on opportunity. And then you have an opportunity to run wild, dare I say, like Hulkamania in the the mid-'80s, that you, you can get Adrian Peterson, who's reinvigorated and excited where he is. Maybe maybe he just didn't like Sean Payton. Maybe going back to all those gifts and memes, uh, there was really something more to it uh, beyond just Alvin Kamara being the better back at the time. And Cordell, happy belated, my friend. Thank you, my friend. At least you thought about me, man. I like that. Appreciate it. I'm getting young. I'm getting young, by the way. Um, you and me both, exactly. <laughs> maybe appreciate not that, bro. Yes, tell me about it. Um, <laughs> let's, let's, talk about a, let's talk about a surprising story here in Atlanta uh, Julio Jones not having a single touchdown yet. Does it change uh, how you look at him and how you use him moving forward? Well, it's always been tough. Is that he's been a yardage guy. The the touchdowns haven't necessarily been there, you know, in his career. And you've just been banking on well, at least I'm going to get the 130, 140 yards. But playing with the hip injury slowed down at this point. Only 25 catches, under 400 yards. Hasn't had that that big bust out game that, you know, folks getting a, a little bit of handring. I mean, we look at his touchdown totals of the year, only one double digit going back to 2012. So that wasn't where you would have been investing. It was the big reception and yardage total. So certainly uh, the other thing you stand, stand to look at is the fact that the yards per catch is down over two per catch, you know, from last year. So, you know, when we look at Matt Ryan, the expectation that this thing would just be a well-oiled machine and a juggernaut running through. Remember, they clo- they were, came close to losing to Mike Glennon and the Bears back in week one. So things certainly uh, disadvantageous for him right now, and, and they've got to figure out exactly how to get this offense rolling. He's a good buy-low candidate in the trade market, and people could just keep holding up the goose egg uh, as they try to fleece their fellow owner. Fantasy Fix with our good friend Michael Harmon, SwollenDome.com. Mike is too modest to mention he's got an MBA degree. I think, Mike, you would have been an outstanding lawyer, but let's put the legal analysis of Ezekiel Elliott aside. At some point, it feels like he's going to have to serve the suspension. When he does, will it be Alfred Morris or Darren McFadden who picks up those fantasy points? Yeah, I think short-term... Darren McFadden would be the guy that I think they'd lean to. I think overall, based on his, his 
roundness of his game. I think Alfred Morris is the guy that if I'm looking at free agent acquisition budget allocation, I'm not going to have to bid as high highly. I think Matt McFadden's going to cost you more, but the, and that you'll have a workload split. And you look at what McFadden did the end of last year. You know, people get excited. Remember, this offensive line is not the same between retirement and free agency and some of the other moves that have gone on. This is not the same five five players. I was banging that drum before the season, and you see it each and every week. And Ezekiel Elliott may have been carrying maybe 10 to 15 pounds. That's the rumor, conjecture, speculation out of Dallas that that's what's keeping him from being a beast again. So McFadden, not the same back, certainly in terms of his level of play. And then you add the offensive line. We're not expecting greatness. But I think McFadden would be the first chair with Morris eventually taking a bunch, including the receiving game away. Melvin Gordon's first 18 games, he had a very few touchdowns. But in the last 19 games, we've seen him catch 19. I'll say like Eminem says, will the real Melvin Gordon please stand up? Which one is he? Is he the one that had very few or the one that's gotten the last 19? I think we'll take the the last 19. I always thought we had a, a talented player to watch, just a, a function of well, maybe the red zone play calling, I think, played into the effect and the, the greatness that was Antonio Gates, uh, and now starting to fade a little bit in terms of his usage. You look at Hunter Henry, who's been great between the 20s, that they try to work into the red zone. I'll uh, be interested to see the targets and the allocation to Mike Williams in future weeks after running a few plays out uh, in week one. But I think for Melvin Gordon, just based on the heavy workload, I think we'll see more of the same. And the offense, for all of the, the, the problems that the kicking game had earlier, and, you know, go up to your Charger-loving friends and say, oh, I really wish the old kicker was there. That would have made for an interesting finish there in Oakland. And they get mad at you and try to punch you. Hmm. Uh, and then you get a free shot back. So it's a beautiful thing. Mike, you need some hobbies. If that's what you're doing when you're not on the air talking young way coup, and, and believe me, I, I need a life, but I'm just trying to make sure. Well, I mean, it's around the radio the studio. I mean, you got to keep it in the, in the business. Otherwise, it goes sideways, and people start telling you about their drunken escapades, and then you're feeling sorry for them. So why do that? No, I got you. Well, that's why I don't talk to anybody and just work a lot. One more thought on Monday Night Football, because that's going to be our topic to kick off the final hour of the program. Jacoby Brissett feels like he's learning the offense on the fly. We know he's got mobility. What kind of fantasy impact player could he be so long as he's hanging on to that job? I find him entertaining and interesting watching him as he's working working through. I mean, you've had a couple of big games with T.Y. Hilton. I know he was shut down. Uh, Tennessee did a good job on him uh, and on the Monday nighter. But when you look at overall Dante Moncrief, we actually called his name. We hadn't done that very much. Jack Doyle needs a can of stick'em or two from the old Oakland Raiders, and suddenly you've got some greatness. Marlon Mack, they'll eventually realize what a playmaker he is and keep giving him the ball. And, and Brissett is, is starting to make some strides. Now, this week's uh, a no-fly zone when we start looking at a matchup against Jacksonville, uh, even though it's at home, but in Jacksonville and that secondary, I want no part of uh, for this week, but I think we're going to have some weeks ahead where he becomes a play, giving you a little bit of work with his legs. Got to figure out where down in distance and where that you know first down marker is. I know he doesn't get the advantage of the yellow line like the rest of us at home, but uh, you got to have a little bit better feel if you're trying to extend a drive and cut up and you know make a play. Sacrifice, sacrifice the body interior instead of uh, to the sideline, uh, and maybe you get that first down and you keep things moving. But uh, I think overall, he's a guy that's now a mid number two 
quarterback for fantasy purposes, and we'll have a couple of spots where maybe he's a nice sneaky daily play going forward. Michael, great information as always. As we say goodbye, Cordell opened the door when he gave me, well, the real pause. Please stand up. Cordell, before Slim Shady, Mike recalls, because he watched a lot of TV as a kid, that was the gimmick on a game show called To Tell the Truth. Will the real Michael Harmon please stand up? (laughs) That's a well-played, nice reference. Just say you're watching on a game show network because then you're timeless, Brian. Well, no, I'm just old. In the context of I was watching this live as a young child, now you're saying, hey, I'm old. In 1977. Well, Cordell, for some reason today, maybe because he's still reveling in the birthday excitement, has pointed out twice today that my dream of hosting a game show is never going to be realized. So I'm just today feeling a little bit down. We can make that happen. Who are we calling? Come on, come on, Cordell. I've got a guy with a studio down here in, in El Segundo. He'll be happy There's to a lot uh, of open st- the doors and let us create. There's a lot of studios around the country. The question is, what's the network he's going to be on? Like, he wants to be prime. He wants to be Michael Strahan type, you know, hosting a show, game show host, like, Let's just say the Price is Right kind of deal. Can he get on Price is Right? No, because Drew Carey's never given up that gig. How about this? We just shoot a pilot, and then I can say at least I hosted one game show. I'm a realist. Just one. I think we could do a sports trivia thing. Yeah, Dan Patrick's uh, got that, though. Just cracking on him the whole time. Cordell, it'll be See? brilliant. You know what? He, he just said it. Dan Patrick, Patrick, there's no space for Brian. Dan Patrick has that show. Who's going to be in the audience anyway listening to this? I'll pay Doesn't people. Doesn't have to be a Jeopardy. You'll pay people? Show. I mean, we, we could be more creative than that. We don't have to play by their Jeopardy rules. Thank you. All right, Mike, you're part of my <laughs> dream. Punishment, all those kind of things start coming into play. I mean, there's a lot of gimmicks we can do. You're part of my yeah. dream, and Cordell, you missed the olive branch that Mike extended to you. He was also going to have you as my co-host up there. That's why I asked what network. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get that into negotiations. How about this, Cordell? Bravo. Bravo. You know people at that network. I don't want that network. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Exactly. Goodbye, Mike. (laughs) Bye, guys. Peace and love. See you next week. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. Tune in your everything audio app.